Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And I'll read these verses for us now, as I get to bring the sermon to you today as well, as we continue in our summer series, where we are talking about the Lord tests. And we're going to be learning about a new tool for testing today, our neighbor. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. All right, kids, Jesus is the... True treasure! All right, so throughout the sermon, um, I appreciate you all paying attention during this time. You have to count how many times we say that sentence. And if you count after the service, you can come up to me and I'll have a little gift for you to, if you tell me how many times we say that sentence. So you, if you have a piece of paper or just with your parent next, you want to keep a tally, go for it. And after the service, you can come find me up here and I'll give you a little prize. So, OK, one more time. Kids, Jesus is the. All right, that's two. That's two. So they're the easy ones. So the rest of them you got to keep track of on your own. Now, that sentence was the big truth from this past week's VBS. But to be honest, that truth is one we all need to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? What does he mean to me? Today, wherever you are in that belief or understanding of Jesus, my hope is that I help give us a clear picture of what the belief that Jesus is the means for us. In order to do that, we're going to use a treasure passage from 2 Corinthians that was just read. And it begins with an image of a clay jar. If you remember, it said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul says that this true treasure, Jesus, actually is stored or housed in people, which we will say why in a little bit. But first, the thing that jumps out to me is that he refers to people as jars of clay, not the most flattering or exciting image to be, to be called in life, a jar of clay. Paul does not say we have this treasure in a mansion. That would have been cool to be called that. Or we have this treasure in an indestructible firebox. Or we have this treasure in a Yeti cooler that preserves the temperature for days without changing. Or even that we have this treasure in a jar of gold or silver. No, he says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, part of the reason for this is that the people Paul was originally speaking to wasn't the 21st century, and they would have understood this image. So let's begin by first understanding what, what would his original audience been thinking when they heard clay jar or clay pot? Thankfully, clay pots are still used in gardening today. I actually have some. And so they're not completely unfamiliar, right? You've probably seen these around, maybe even used them in your own gardening. However, in the first century, when this letter was written to the Corinthians, they weren't using clay for gardening, really. They would have been used for storing things. 
So big ones would have been holding olive oil or a drink or something like that. Or in the kitchen, they would have been, uh, had a funnel on them maybe to hold water or to store supplies for cooking in the kitchen. Also, clay was used for oil lamps. There's a picture of one there. And this would have been used throughout houses to light. They would have just put oil in it and then had a wick and then lit it and it would have been an oil lamp. So clay was used throughout. And one of the other interesting uses for clay pots in particular, or clay jars in particular, was to hide valuables. Um, this is a picture of this next one of a, uh, an archaeologist found this just in, when they were digging a clay jar that had coins in it. So in the first century, you can think of this kind of like a first century piggy bank. They would have hidden valuables like coins or jewelry in with the idea that if a thief came, they would never think that a, a cheap uh, piece of clay pot that would break and get thrown out all the time would hold something valuable. You wouldn't hide it there. But that's what they did. Sometimes they would bury them. Sometimes they just put them on shelves. But they would hide valuable things in them. Now, the other thing about clay jars that I think Paul was wanted to emphasize here in his use of this image is that they were very fragile and cheap. They broke easily. They were very inexpensive, even in the first century. And so if they broke, you just discard them or throw them out. And so, kids, you may not have actually held a clay pot. So I was going to demonstrate this here. There you go. You can see it. Uh, really big up there. How fragile these clay pots really are. There you go. Look at that. Just a little throw breaks apart. Can't be used ever again. Sorry if you wanted to use that for gardening. It's just a bunch of pieces now. So they're fragile. They're cheap. They would have broken all the time. So Paul uses this very fragile and cheap object to describe Christians. Jesus is the... And Christians are the jars of clay that carry him around. So why did Paul pick this image? Let me read this first verse again. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So I think the main reason is that Paul knew there's no way you could ever get confused. What is more valuable, the clay pot or the treasure inside? Clay jars that held coins were only valuable because of the coins inside of them. There would have been no confusion about which was more important. This was very different, though, than how Roman culture would have uh, pervaded their gods and goddesses during that time. In the first century, if you wanted to say, talk about your god or goddess, you would have, you would have had some image or symbol that was strong or impenetrable or indestructible to represent it. Something intimidating and powerful looking. But Paul doesn't do that. He simply calls disciples of Jesus clay jars. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to think of myself as weak and frail. Those aren't great adjectives necessarily. Especially if I'm meant to carry something valuable around. I mean, I want to feel a little confidence here. I need, I need an image where I feel a little more confident about that. We like to think of ourselves as a steel or titanium or maybe even an adamantium container. And we may even reason that that would be better represent God. However, as soon as we think that, we've already missed the point of this image. One commentator writes, had the priceless treasure of the knowledge of God been contained in a strong and permanent body, it could have proved fatal given the fact of human pride. I think this is what Paul realized 
And this is one of the reasons that God created the world the way it is. I think God knew we would always be tempted to think of ourselves as golden jars or something stronger rather than clay jars. So I think he created a world where we are faced daily with tests of our character and strength. In fact, this summer we've been studying this very idea, Travis mentioned earlier, that the Lord tests us. And I think one reason for testing is to remind us that we are simple clay jars. He said in verses eight and nine that the dog gets read that we are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted and struck down, which are exactly the things I think we all feel when we face tests in life. For me, I really related to that word perplexed. For others, you, your experience may feel more like affliction if you're battling a sickness or disease. Or it may feel like persecution as your Christian values are disrespected. Or it may feel like being struck down because you feel alone and forgotten. However, for me, that word perplexed jumped out because I like to understand the way things work. Why things are the way they are or why they work or don't work. So when I seek to apply my Christian faith to the problems in my own life or on a grander scale around the world, I often feel frustrated or perplexed or overwhelmed because I can't figure them out. And I wonder why God allows or directs the things the way he does. One of the most perplexing and difficult things that I have seen and experienced came during my trips to Nicaragua when I was part of the student ministry staff team here um, at the chapel and one of my first trips, the summer right before Alexis and I got married, so this would have been 2009, um, we both went down to Nicaragua, stayed at an orphanage called Casa Bernabe. We had the privilege of getting to know a young boy named Jose Armando while we were down there, and he quickly became the kid that Alexis and I would spend most of our time with whenever we were hanging out with the kids. Now, the conditions that these kids lived in were terrible compared to our standards here. There was no AC. They didn't have hot water. They lived in these cement shacks with uh, dirt floors and limited options for the future. Now, while this is bad enough, the thing that was most saddening or perplexing to me, and even more so years later as I had my own kids, is that Jose Armando was an orphan, but not because his parents had died. Like, somehow in my mind, I understood that a little more. He was an orphan because his parents didn't have enough money to support him. He was what's called a financial orphan. So his mom had to willingly give up her son for someone else to take care of him. I can't imagine the pain this would cause a mom or a dad. It was a glimpse at true physical poverty on a level I had not known. And I couldn't say it was simply because these folks didn't believe in God. You know, they were punishing him in some way. Because I saw them worship the same God. And to be honest, sometimes worship more sincerely than me, that same God. Jose Armando did not choose to be born into those conditions. Even trying to figure out how you could fix the problems of Nicaragua, so to speak, quickly became a lesson in futility because of the corruption involved. You begin to feel helpless, overwhelmed, perplexed, wondering if there's actually a reason for things like this especially on that last day when he, a little boy runs up to you and grabs your leg and says, don't go, I loved being with you. So I believe it to be true. And I can declare that Jesus is the... 
But there are many things in this world that can leave me and you feeling perplexed because of the injustice and sadness involved. For the kids in this crowd, maybe you have wondered why you get so frustrated or angry when things aren't fair between you and your brother or sister. Or maybe you wonder why your parents get to change their mind, even on a decision when they said something they were going to do. Or maybe you wonder why, why do I have to share a friend or a toy with someone else? Even at a young age, we can feel the fragility of life. It can make us feel unworthy or even wonder, do I even want to be a jar of clay that holds that treasure? It may even lead us to ask questions like, why would I choose to be a weak and fragile jar of clay? Do I really want to follow a God who uses me like clay? Does embracing Jesus just make life worse or more confusing? Does embracing Jesus mean I'm going to have to face more tests in life? Now, the great news is the answer is no to those questions. Giving Jesus access to your life does not simply lead to more pain, suffering, or tests. Now, you may have more of those things, but it is not because you have put your trust in Jesus. Let me reread the first few verses. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. When you embrace the truth that Jesus is the... Then yes, it does mean you will realize how weak and frail you really are. And it does not mean all of life's tests go away. However, as you are being given over to death for Jesus' sake, or in other words, giving up your own need for control giving up your own pride, then a new life and strength is given to you by the very power that created this world and created you. Jesus begins to empower you to face the tests of life, which are inevitable, whether you believe in Jesus or not. You will find a newfound strength, which doesn't transform you into a, a different kind of jar, but instead makes it very obvious where the true strength and value are found which is in the contents of the jar, not the jar itself. When you are willing to allow your priorities and purposes to die and instead receive the priorities and purposes of God, then you will experience the life of Jesus in you. The Lord's tests then become a reminder of the true source of power in our life. It is the true treasure of Jesus in us that gives this jar of clay strength to face the tests and not be utterly broken and destroyed. Testing reminds us that we are clay jars who hold the true treasure and Jesus is the true treasure. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that there's one more twist at the end. And I want to finish on this this morning. It gives us even more clarity on the purpose of tests in life. 
and ultimately leads us to what we've been calling this summer a new tool for testing that I want to leave us with this morning. So let me reread these verses one more time. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And we might expect Paul to just stop there, or maybe say one more thing and encourage us to find that life so that you can be empowered as well. But he doesn't. There's one more verse with the twist. It says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Up to this point, the goal of dying to myself or giving up control had been for me to find life. But now it's no longer about me. The strength you're giving, the life you find in Jesus is not meant to make you look cooler or give you more followers or more friends or more toys or more money or whatever other things you might treasure. You don't all of a sudden become a titanium container rather than a clay jar. The point of giving up control and allowing the life of Jesus to be manifested in you is to reveal the source of that strength, which is Jesus, so that others might find life in him. In my prep for this sermon, I read a sermon by C.S. Lewis, famous guy a lot of us know, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And the sermon is titled, The Weight of Glory. And the final sentence speaks to the importance of the people we interact with. And he refers to them as our neighbor. He says this, Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. For in him also Christ, the glorifier and the glorified, glory himself is truly hidden. C.S. Lewis says, Our neighbor is the holiest object presented to our senses, second only to communion. That's what the Holy Sacrament is. Testing reminds us that we are clay pots who hold the true treasure for the purpose of bringing life to our neighbor. Now, real quick, neighbor, before you start to cut things like, who is my neighbor? The Bible defines your neighbor really as anyone in need around you, Christian or not. So this really could be anyone that God places in your path if you're willing to see the people around you as opportunities rather than obstacles. And as you move your focus simply from uh, celebrating the strength God has given you to how your submission to Jesus can bring life to others, then it takes the focus off the circumstances of the tests you're facing and the symptoms of it and instead assigns greater purpose to those tests of life. Also, focusing on our neighbor points us back to the source of our power because that's the reason we are helping our neighbor is to introduce him or her to God. The tests of life are meant to do something in us with the ultimate goal of bringing life to others. So our tool for testing today is the tool of our neighbor. Jesus is the... But 
Testing reminds us that we are clay jars who hold the true treasure for the purpose of bringing life to our neighbor. And this is why in Galatians 5.14 it says, For the whole law, the whole thing, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the person in my life outside of Jesus who best exemplified this was our late pastor emeritus and one of my mentors, Dick Woodward. Pastor Woodward was a uh, pastor, and this, by the way, since we have pictures here, you can put the picture up. Pastor Woodward was a pastor here at the chapel from 1980 until he died in 2014. This is a picture in student ministry. We used to go carol at his house and we would let the seniors go in and get to meet him. So that's Dick Woodward there in the bed. He was a joyful and wonderful Bible teacher. But I think it was the way God used him to bring life to so many others that he will be truly remembered for. He suffered from a spinal de degenerative disease that left him bedridden, like you see him in the picture, for the last 15 to 20 years of his life. He was a quadriplegic who couldn't move of his own will from the neck down. He lived just down the street in St. George's Hundred on Castle Lane. And I was privileged to go see him. And when I did, I got to see a genuine smile and a radiant joy that made this verse about jars of clay scream out as true. His body was literally like clay because he had lost all muscle mass. But let me read a few paragraphs from his book titled The Four Spiritual Secrets, in which he describes how he viewed his sickness. God had a plan for me that I believe encompassed my illness and disability. Laying motionless and requiring constant care will never be what I want. I'm not a martyr and I don't want to be a bedfast quadriplegic. But even though it took me two years to work out my acceptance of these events as being from God, my heart attitude now is that if he heals me, that's all right. But if he doesn't heal me, that's all right too, because he's all right. I have the hardest time explaining this to people. Part of the amazing paradox I'm living out is that these last decades have been the most fulfilling and fruitful years my wife Ginny and I have experienced. It's embarrassing for us sometimes when people who haven't seen us for years come to visit, they see my condition and begin to weep. And Ginny and I say, don't do that. We've never been happier. Our relationship to Christ, each other, our children and our ministry has never been better. We're more and more excited as we watch God work. We believe that if God healed me today and we know he could, in about two weeks, I'd have the Dick Woodward three ring circus on the road. I'd look fruitful, but not be fruitful in the way he wants me to bear the fruit that remains for him. Dick Woodward was a special man whose ministry God used to bring life to many around the world. I don't share his story to make us feel guilty that we aren't as faithful as him or as productive as him. I don't wish, and he wouldn't wish, his physical uh, circumstances upon anyone. I share his story because he was a man that was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and quite literally struck down. Yet the more death was at work in him, the more life he passed on to others. Testing reminds us that we are clay jars 
who hold the true treasure for the purpose of bringing life to our neighbor. Say it one more time. Testing reminds us that we are clay jars who hold the true treasure for the purpose of bringing life to our neighbor. So what neighbors has God placed in your path who are watching the way you trust in God and who God might want to bring new life to? Or maybe you just need to wrestle with the big truth from VBS a little more, which is great. And that big truth, once again, is Jesus is the... Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day. Thank you.